Come up here. We're going to tag team a little bit this morning. We're going to talk about Pentecost, as mentioned. And she felt like the Lord put a prophetic word on her heart for our church family about the kind of those in relationships that we have with one another within the church. And then I'm going to share some from God's word on what it looks like to go out and be the witnesses Jesus called us to be. So this comes from Acts 1.8. As mentioned, there's a, there was a really quite a small band of somewhat terrified followers of Jesus who post-resurrection are, are looking for what's next in this following of Jesus' journey. And Jesus appears to them. And he gives them a promise, the Pentecost promise. And it is this, Acts 1.8. You will receive Power, which is a fun one, by the way. The word in the Greek is dunamis, dynamis. It's literally from where we get the word dynamite. And it's not a direct translation, but it's exactly where we get that word from. And so you can, you can think about the explosive power of the Holy Spirit in our life that we don't have on our own strength. So if you ever kind of look at your own life and you're like, well, my life's not like Jesus. My life's not like Paul. My life's not like Peter or John. Where's the explosive power that they carried? It's the Holy Spirit. And that's not meant to be anything that shames us. It's meant to be something that excites us and encourages us about the more that is possible. And that's our perspective on discipleship here at this church. Jesus is our goal. <laughs> To become more like Jesus. Jesus himself said it this way in the Sermon on the Mount just a couple weeks ago. Therefore, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And he really means it. The word perfect is telos. It's the goal. The goal for God, God's goal for your life, is that you would become increasingly like him. That's his telos. That's his perfection, his maturity, his goal for you. And so anytime we look at the Bible and see these amazing things that Jesus does, that's not meant to shame us. It's meant to get us excited about our future. If we keep following Jesus with that poor in spirit, humble, hungry, childlike heart, then God's will for us is that we continue to grow and mature and become more like our heavenly father, which was demonstrated perfectly in the life of Jesus. So when we hear this word, you will receive power, the dynamite, explosive power of the Holy Spirit, that's meant to get us excited that more is possible in your life. So if you're not seeing the fullness of it yet, that's not, oh, shame on you, you're bad. It's, wow, God's got more exciting blessings coming my way as I seek him with all my heart. All right. Acts 1.8, you will receive this explosive dynamite power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. My witnesses, my ambassadors, the, the Christians, which means little Christs, which is so fantastic. 
The early church looked so much like Christ to the world, they got called little Christs. That's, that's the Greek word of it. And we translate it Christian. But it literally means little Christs. They were his witnesses to such a degree. They looked like him to such a degree to the world around him, to them. They got called, oh, those little Jesuses running around. Oh, God, let that happen. What a compliment. And so there's this beautiful vision that Jesus paints. That now, post-resurrection, he is passing on the mantle of kingdom advancement to his followers, to be his witnesses, to be the little Christs in the world by the power of the Spirit. And so that's what Pentecost is about. It's about the fulfillment of that, that by the Holy Spirit coming upon us, by the Holy Spirit's power in us, and in increasing measure, we can fulfill our destiny of being these little Christs into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Wherever God gives you is the point. Wherever your sphere of influence is to be that little Christ out in the world. So how do we partner with God to be his witnesses? That's what we're going to look at this morning. And Don's going to share one of those, and then I'm going to share another couple as well. Stepping on this. Hmm. I felt like God gave me the beginning of this word. It was back in March, I feel like. It was a few months ago. And he keeps building upon it and speaking more. So it's exciting because God has more for us. I want to read Acts uh, 2 verses in Acts 2 first. Acts 2 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like, mighty, like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And I want to read verse uh, 242 as well. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And verse 47, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And I felt like what God highlighted to me was a theme that we have talked about and has been on our hearts for so long because it's so, it's so strong and clear in the scriptures. And that's that the unity preceded the outpouring. The unity created the band almost. And I want to share a vision that God gave me. The unity created something so that they could contain the power of God so that he could pour out. There, there, there's a drawing of his power that happens when, when we are in unity. And 
that's why I read verse 42, because it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to breaking of bread and prayers. It talks about day by day. They were together and they were devoted to one another. And there was a level of, there was a tight-knittedness and a unity that existed that was in place before the outpouring. And I want to read John 17. Because this is God's heart for us, and it's all about unity. Jesus said, John 17, 11, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So Jesus' heart for us was that we, as the body of Christ, would be one as he and the Father are one. And then again, we have uh, Hebrews 10, 25. And I'm going to read the Passion Translation in this because I, I feel like it's a really good, the way that it describes the original Greek kind of really hits home for us. So this is Hebrews 10, 25. This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together as some has formed as some have formed the habit of doing. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate that day dawning. So there's this urging to come together, not to neglect meeting together. And we live in such a busy society where it seems like the first thing to go the easiest thing to go is actually giving up the unity and the meeting together. And I felt like what God is highlighting is a shift of our focus to the words of God from his word on the importance of regularly gathering together, of coming together in unity so that we can be that place of power where he pours out. And it takes intentionality because our lives are so busy. And I just felt like there was this image that God gave me. You know that old idea? That it's like a, there's an image of like a mason jar. And it's kind of like this picture of if you put the big rocks in first and then the little rocks that everything fits. But if you put the little rocks in and then the big, big rocks and then it doesn't fit. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit was saying that he wants to take us up a level as a church family in a way that is so countercultural of being united. And that's not just, you know, we, we, have, we have life groups. We gather on Sundays. You know, we're going to be doing some really awesome awakening worship nights. And, and there's, not a, there's not a format or formula to that. So it's not like, oh, well, you didn't show up to life group this week. You're in trouble. That's, that's, what it, that's not what it's about at all. It's about being intentional and making time. And that when we put Christ in the center, everything comes together. The same as that image of the jar and the rocks. When, the, when he's in the center, when he goes in first, there's everything else that we desire and need in life lines up. And it's so easy. We, I mean, we all experience it. We all do this where we just, we get so busy and then we just don't, we don't connect with fellowship. 
and, and we just get kind of dry and weary, and I do it, and he, you know, life gets so busy, and I just feel like God is, there's a call to his body to hone in on, to sharpen as a sacrifice of worship to be devoted to, you know, I'm going to embarrass my um, mother-in-law and father-in-law right now. They are so devoted. They literally come back from vacations to come to church. (laughs) I'm not saying everybody has to do that. I'm just saying I, I honor their faithfulness. And faithfulness is synonymous with fruitfulness. There's, there's another element to that. And that is um, we need to show up. So we need to not give up meeting together. And we need to open up. Because if we, don't, if we show up but we don't open up, then there's not going to be any kind of honest, open fellowship that happens. We're not going to actually be experiencing the transforming power of Jesus and encouraging one another with prophetic words, with counsel, with, you know, whatever it is that God wants to pour through us to one another and vice versa. We're supposed to be on the giving and the receiving end. The body and our connection to the body is supposed to be a place of life where we are knit together and we are becoming and transforming more and more like Jesus through the connection to one another and the way that Jesus pours out in that. And I want to read Psalm 63 too because I feel like it really highlights that as we move up a notch or two or three and make more of a priority of showing up and being together and not giving up meeting together, not neglecting it, not having that be the first thing to go, but that having that be the big rock that's in the center of our jar so that everything can fit and come together and be full of his glory. I felt like this this isn't just a sacrifice. This is a delight that we can expect that every time we come together, that this verse will happen, Psalm 63, 2 in the Passion Translation. I'm energized every time I enter your heavenly sanctuary to seek more of your power and drink more of your glory. And I just feel like that's a promise to us. You know, so frequently, you know, say, say it's a life group night and you're tired and we have, you know, you got work the next day. There's so many times when, you know, when it's time to meet together and you're just like, I'm kind of done. I'm just tired. I just want to go home. And I'm not saying that there's not a time and a place for that where you need to take care of yourself and you need to take care of yourself so you don't get sick or your kids are run down. It's balance. And this is always between you and the Holy Spirit, me and the Holy Spirit. There's no judgment of, oh, you know, we miss, you missed this rule. You didn't follow through with this. But there's, there's a mindset where I believe that God is calling us to be countercultural to devote ourselves to one another so that we can, can so that we can be bearers of and contain the glory that he is going to pour out. And I want and contain is a weird word. So I'm going to share with you the image that I felt like God gave me with regard to this. It, it, was, it was really amazing. And so it was an image of a beach. 
I'm going to go to my notes just in case I forget anything. There was an image of a beach and there was a shore. And we were all standing along the shore and facing the ocean. And it was the body of Christ, you know, everyone in this church family. And we were holding hands, um, holding hands and, you know, arm in arm like this, you know, the tighter the better. But, but the image was that there was this tidal wave of God's glory and of his power and a wave of revival that was coming and is coming and that it's actually always here and we actually miss some of it and I'll share why. As we were knit together, <laughs> there was this image that we became a net the tighter the better. And as the net was knit together, we could catch the contents that that tidal wave brought. The fish, the treasures from the deep. The glory of the Lord. And it was through the tightness of those bonds, the building of the togetherness, that it, the net linked up tighter and stronger, the tighter, the stronger, the healthier, and it could catch the contents of the deep sea, the golden treasures, the glory, the fish. And the fish is important also to keep in mind when he shares because he's going to talk about outreach. Those are people. Those are people. So I feel like this is a word for us to steward because I feel like he wants all of us. And, and when I say all of us, this is not in any way a word of you guys aren't doing this because you already are. We already are. We all already are as a church family. But I just feel like there's a, an invitation from Jesus right now. There is a tidal wave and he is urging us to come together all the more as we see the day of approaching because he has glory to pour out on us and he wants us to have the unity so that we can catch the contents of the wave of, the revi of revival, that those things will be, those gifts will be treasured and stewarded well by this body and grow until eternity and serve as almost like incense and worship from this day forth and forevermore. Yeah, I think I'm done. Okay, you ready? <laughs> Thank you, babe. That's awesome. All right. So we will continue with the question of, so how do we partner with God to be his witnesses? It's a good one. Matthew 9, 35 to 38. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news, the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease 
and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That is such a fascinating passage on on so many levels. The last thing Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That's what happens at Pentecost. That was the promise right before Pentecost where Jesus says you'll receive power, that explosive power of the Holy Spirit when, he, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That is being sent out. That is the laborers sent out into God's harvest. And so Pentecost is that answer to prayer, so to speak, of laborers being sent out into God's harvest. But I believe that this situation is a spiritual reality that Jesus is describing that is happening all the time in every location, in every generation. So in the same way that Jesus took his disciples aside and said, guys, I want you to have spiritual eyes here. I want you to see, you know, we're going around and we're finding all these crowds and they're harassed and they're hurting because they're like sheep without a shepherd and they need healing and they need good news and they need encouragement and they need to see that explosive power of the Holy Spirit. He's like, look, guys, the problem is not that the Holy Spirit isn't at work out there. It's that I need more of you to go out there to get into God's harvest fields. In another of the Gospels, Jesus said that the harvest fields are white, meaning like they're ready to be harvested. The crops are ready. It's so beautiful to me to see that the Holy Spirit is always at work out there. That's what Jesus is saying. You you find a crowd, you can trust the Holy Spirit is at work in their lives. People are hurting, lost, broken. And what is Jesus' perspective? It's like, oh, condemn them. He had compassion on them, for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I mean, this is a crowd. So (laughs) this is Jesus going from town to town, city to city, village to village, house to house. Crowds are gathering. So this is just everyday, ordinary people that are lost and need a Savior. So you can imagine every type of sin is present in these people. But God is at work. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is at work. They're harassed and helpless Like sheep without a shepherd, they need the witnesses of God to come and and share the good news of who Jesus is. To demonstrate in word and deed and explosive power what it looks like for the kingdom of God to break in to their life where they're hurting, lost, and broken. 
And so, quite simply, how do we partner with God in being his witnesses? It comes down to the very simple reality of be available. Like Isaiah from the Old Testament said, here am I, send me. That's it. Can you live with that Isaiah send me mindset for all of your life? That's what Jesus is calling for. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. It's his. He's in charge of it. It's his mission. He initiates. You don't get God to start working when you decide to be a part of it. You just join the party of God's mission that has always been at work in the world and will always be at work in the world. And the question is, are you going to join the party or is someone else going to get to have that fun? Because <laughs> God's mission is initiated and led by God. That's why he says, send out laborers into his harvest. We don't wake God up to have him go do something in the world. And when we're available to do something, we're not like stirring God up. He's like, uh, thanks for joining the party. <laughs> I've been here waiting, you know. So it's quite simply be available and then watch God work. Watch God how he shows you how you get the privilege to be involved in his work in the world. And it is astounding, almost comical, when you, how real and tangible it is, when you make yourself available, how quickly those divine appointments come. I, I do believe in our culture that busyness Although that sounds, in a sense, so benign, I do believe it is if the screw tape letters were written today, you could hear the conversations of the demons. Oh, these are great people. That's so awesome. We sidelined half the army of God by just filling up their calendars with other stuff. And they're just too busy for one another and too busy to, for God's mission. And they're great people. You know, like, think about our world. What's one of these number one things that we're all, all, ourselves included, constantly struggling with is just busyness. It seems like our calendar fills up without even doing anything. And that's actually a thing now, right? You get invites from people at your boss or, you know, at your work or at, you know, in friends, whatever. You can, and it can go onto your Google calendar without your permission, and you can say yes or no or delete it, but it's like I wake up and it's like, that's on my calendar. Like, what? It fills up without even me trying and asking. Think about that reality, though, and just how full our schedules can be. It's the number one thing we hear all the time. I'm tired. I'm weary. I'm busy. 
And, and it's just the world we live in, for better or for worse. And so that's not like a, so you're bad. It's just, no, just we got to be aware that the enemy can very easily use that cultural stronghold of busyness to take you out of the most important ways you could invest your time, effort, and energy. And that's just a spiritual fight. And that's where you begin to have victory is when you see it as there's a spiritual battle for my calendar. If you just go with the flow, that's where the danger is at. That's where those little demons are like, ha ah, anything I put in their calendar, they do. Whether it's God's will or not, if it's, you know, they get an invite, it's a yes. And so that's where recognizing that my time, effort, and energy is ultimately a reflection of what kingdom I value most. And so to begin to live more and more with those kind of eyes that my yeses, my noes, my time, my effort, my energy are a spiritual battle. So be available. That is what Jesus is showing us in Matthew 9, 35 to 48. Let me quickly clarify. That doesn't mean with a heart that says I'm available that you never say no. That's not true either. One of my favorite passages, maybe just because I'm a pastor and my default is to say yes and the cultural pressure is to say yes. One of my favorite passages is in Luke, I think it's 538, where Jesus is in the middle of literally like experiencing a revival in a house with more people at the door, ready for prayer, ready for healing, ready to hear the gospel, and he leaves out the back door. He says no to hungry people for the Lord. Like that's a shocking, first first time I read that, I'm like, "Uh, are you allowed to do that, Jesus? It's kind of why you're here. But it says he went alone to be alone with the Father. He was led by the Spirit at all times, not the cultural pressures of humanity, for better or for worse. And so that's, I'm not saying to be available means that you don't listen to the Spirit. That's what, why it's called a relationship. <laughs> you will say no at times to good things, absolutely. But the first step is this mindset of I want to be available. I want to enter into that spiritual battle that is my calendar. And I don't want to just go with the flow of the culture because I'm not going to assume that the flow of the culture are God's values. In fact, you should probably assume they're not. (laughs) So I'm going to enter into the spiritual battle of being available to be that harvest worker that Jesus talks about are needed. And then I'll let the Lord teach me how to say yes and no at the right times. So number two here, or last one, is how do we partner with God to be his witnesses? And this, this could be its own teaching. I just want to briefly hit on a tool that I believe is very helpful in how it takes us into seeing mission with another person as a relational space, a genuine, dignified relationship. People are not projects. And that's, that's part of our cultural milieu right now is, is that there is a very, there is a wariness 
to anything that feels like organized religion that's pushing themselves on you or forcing themselves on you or you're just going to be another notch in the belt of some person who, you know, needs to please somebody and, and you know, turn me into their little project. But with all that said, are we wanting to slow down one iota from the mission of being witnesses to Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, and to the ends of the earth? Not at all. We just want to learn to do it with wisdom with grace, with compassion, with what I would argue is simply Jesus's way. And so I want to go into a tool here about what it looks like to be a witness. That's after all what Jesus said. (laughs) Go be my witnesses. Be my witnesses. Represent me. Represent little Christ. And in some sense, that's the goal of going out into the world and being used by God, whether it's in a a short-term relationship that you meet someone one time or a long-term relationship with somebody that you have to suffer through for 50 years because they're your family and you don't have a choice. The, The idea is when it's all said and done, whether it's an hour or 50 years, you want to stand before God and say, I was as faithful as I could possibly be, Jesus, to represent you to them. And to the degree that I know I messed up and fall short, I I admit that. I share it with them. I try to learn and grow as much as as it was maybe just cultural pressures coming out of me or my overgrown personality in this way or my lack of character in this area, then I'll admit that and say, but I'm not going to quit. I just want to be more like Jesus next time. I want to be a witness of what Christ is really like. I want people to encounter Jesus through me. I don't want them to come away and be like, wow, that guy was so such and such if it doesn't point up to Jesus. I want them to be like, wow, there was something weird there because I was talking with this guy. and Yeah, yeah, he's a nice guy and stuff, but somehow I feel like I'm, I'm closer to God now. I got connected to God now. Jesus makes more sense to me. Jesus seems real. Jesus is attractive. Jesus is powerful, personal, and present. We want people to encounter Jesus. And so, a few things on that. As witnesses, here's a helpful tool. I believe it's helpful to think through. In relationship with people, as we're the laborers sent out into the harvest, or you could even just boil it down to one conversation, because this can happen in a conversation, though you don't want to force it. You want to move the conversation or the relationship from simple to serious, to spiritual. So think about that for a moment. This, this is, I believe, relational, everyday Pentecost evangelism. From simple to serious to spiritual. And what do I mean by that? Let's, let's unpack it a bit. First of all, it's not at all meant to be a formula or a strict step-by-step process. It can be all kind of mixed together in organic ways. But I do believe these little phrases, simple, serious, spiritual, can help us believe how easy it can be to be a witness of Jesus. Because a lot of us think it's just really hard, right? Like, oh, I don't have the explosive power of the Spirit. Or I talked with someone and they didn't get saved today, therefore I'm not doing this again. Or maybe it's just the even just to talk to someone in public 
is, is terrifying to you. Wherever you might be on, on kind of that go be a harvester spectrum, I believe if we can think through that simple, serious, spiritual, that, there, that those can be some tools that help give us courage. They encourage us. They put courage in us to take that step of faith to say, I'm available, God, to be among your harvest field. So what do, what do I mean by simple? This is about building common ground. If you look at Jesus, it's so interesting. It's, although Jesus got persecuted from the religious leaders and the state government, out among the people, man, he was so loved. But, but he wasn't just preaching fluff. He called people to high levels of accountability and change. But there was something about when he initiated the relationship that he was able to build common ground, help people feel, you might say, heard, loved, valued, accepted, to where they allowed him to speak into the, to their life. He earned trust, you could say. And... and I mean, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the dregs of society, and, and they knew he was a rabbi. How did he earn the trust of those people? I mean, I, I, I intentionally, when I'm out in the world, I hide the fact that I'm a pastor to start with. I mean, if they ask, I'm not going to lie to them. But because of the fact that, oh, if I'm a religious leader, there's immediately a wall up between people out there, that they think I'm automatically judging them, I think I'm better than them, I'm going to just tell them why they're bad. And, and somehow Jesus was the master at overcoming all of that and getting what you might call the worst of sinners to trust him. And, and I believe it's, he starts with what you might call simple things, building common ground through kindness, Compassion, curiosity, and, and encouragement or compliments in a totally genuine way. Like the, these things are the heart of God, to be kind to someone. I mean, Jesus even said his perspective on the crowds. I mean, let's not take this out of real life. The crowds. This is Jesus. You could say the mob if that makes it a little bit more unsavory for you. <laughs> I mean, this is just the crowd that would gather when Jesus goes from place to place, village to village, and, and groups gather. These are not like the cleansed, holy, righteous. What does Jesus say? They're lost. These are the lost, hurting and broken. And what's his first response? Compassion. I believe they can feel that. I believe people out there can feel it. So we start with the simple heart of God, which says, I have compassion. God loves you. You are created in God's image. You're worthy of dignity. You're worthy of kindness. You're worthy of encouragement. God created you fearfully and wonderfully. So look for those things that you can genuinely compliment about them that creates the, the common ground. Of incur through encouragement, 
I, I met this lady on Thursday night this week, and it just got in this conversation with, at a city event. This is a non-Christian you know, thing out there, and it's just amazing through looking for the place. In my mind, it's trying to see with heaven's eyes the gold in people. So you come with compassion, you come with kindness, you come with curiosity. We actually care about them. Curiosity, what I mean by that is like ask genuine questions. Like that you're curious about them, you care about them. God cares about you. Anything going on in your life, God cares about you. How do we reflect that? In genuine questions with people. To go along with kindness and compassion. And, and then you sense something people, re- as soon as people, you're kind and compassionate, people start opening up. And they start telling you about themselves. And what you can do is prophetically bless the gold in them. So I immediately started talking with this lady. She t- started just actually compliments. She was like 80 years old and had this wonderfully lovely smile. And so I was like, oh, you have the awesomest smile. Like, and you know, so it's like you're above 80. Like, even though I'm married, I can compliment you about that because it's like, you know, it's, it's safe, right? It's like, you have the loveliest smile. And, and it was true. It just stu- stood out. And, and, you know, and, and that open, you know, opened up even more. And so we started talking, and, and she immediately started talking about how she, like, is a writer and has a dream to write. And so, you know, able to bless and compliment. And the next thing you know, what's happening? It gets serious. She starts telling me about how she's a domestic violence survivor. And she starts telling me about her injuries and how she couldn't even walk, and her spinal cord was fractured. And it's like, where are we at now? We're at number two, serious. I absolutely believe from the life of Jesus, people are desperately hungry for compassion, genuine compassion, kindness, compliments, but it's more than that. It's like prophetic blessing. Because shortly, shortly, shortly after you establish that, they get serious. Because the world is starving, or as Jesus said, harassed and helpless, lost, sheep without a shepherd. People are so hungry to just share. I mean, it's, it's, it's built into us. It's what Don's talking about. We are made to share with one another. We're not made to go through life alone. Being alone is horrible. If the pandemic taught anything to the world, hopefully it's that. that Living in isolation and loneliness is toxic to the soul. We need one another. But most people are living lonely out there and don't have anyone to share the serious stuff of life with. And it's amazing to me. And, 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 you know, without even people knowing I'm a pastor, you start being compassionate and they unload on you like it's the confession booth. But there's, but there's something real to that. That's not about me, me being a pastor at all. I don't believe. It's about people are starving to have serious conversations and to get off their chest the, the weights and burdens of life. I mean, you see this. Jesus models this all over the place. But let's think about John 4 for a moment. This woman from the well, woman at the well from Samaria You know how he opens that conversation? Please give me a drink. That's simple, right? But to the culture, a Jewish man speaking to a Samaritan woman who is getting water by herself at noon, which has a thousand and one implications culturally about how she is an 
outcasted, unclean, unworthy, bad, put the scarlet letter on her woman. So for Jesus to even speak to her, even in the simple, can I have a drink, it is kindness, compassion, curiosity, compliments. It's all of it. It's showing her a dignity that her culture tells her she doesn't deserve on any level. He starts with that. Where does that conversation go real quick? (laughs) Because, I believe, through the simple compassion, kindness, curiosity, compliments, it goes to the serious. Where Jesus says, hey, would you call your husband here? We can talk together. Now, he's got the spiritual going as well because he knows. She says, I have no husband. She didn't need to tell him that, right? But she trusts him. It's built right there. And she, so she unloads about her life. I have no husband. In fact, I have five. I mean, she unloads things that are utterly shameful for the culture. I mean, so you talk about someone just unloading their junk on you, in a, you know, talking about their serious challenges and struggles, where they need help. She unloads in serious conversation. And at that moment, Jesus moves to spiritual, and that's the last piece, simple, serious, spiritual, where not in a formulaic way, and this is where we've got to be careful, not in a formulaic way, but in a very Jesus-style way. What did Jesus say in John 5, 19? I only do what I see the Father doing. And so when we have that holy, sacred moment of desiring to be a little Jesus out in the world, especially when we know that the spiritual convert it's it's gotten to the spiritual place a spiritual conversation or it needs to get there this is where i believe we need to have that awe of god awe before god to say i'm in a truly sacred fragile moment holy spirit help me see what you're doing in their life so that i can partner with you to help them take the next step closer to God. Help them not, help me not have my agenda right now of what they need next. They need to be in church next weekend. They need to be saved right now. Those are fantastic things. But there is a reason why every single encounter you see Jesus have with someone is unique. There is not a cookie-cutter formula of what they need next. There is a Holy Spirit who meets them right where they're at and with the eternal wisdom of heaven of what is the next step that is on God's eyes so they take the next step closer to God. And that's where I do believe there should be a holy reverence and awe where we're Trembling in a sense of, Holy Spirit, I don't want to do my agenda right now. Help me see with your eyes where they're at, where you're at, and how those things can come together. What is the Holy Spirit doing? What's the Father doing? And can I help me be that vessel that helps them take one step closer to God right now? In accordance with what you're doing right now.
And that may mean an invitation to church. It may mean a salvation invitation. It may mean a simple word of encouragement. It may mean breaking a line. It may mean a prayer right there on the spot. It may mean a prayer for healing. It may mean a prophetic word. I mean, look at all the different things Jesus does. He is your example. He is the breadth, the fullness, the depth of what it means to be a witness of our Father in heaven. So therefore, we don't want to cookie cutter ourselves into a little formula. We want to be witnesses of Jesus. And it can be so many different, beautiful, powerful things that people walk away with a clear encounter of God. That's what it's all about. It's not about forcing them to be at a place where you think they should be or I think they should be. It's about helping them take the next step on their genuine journey of growing closer to God. I believe that's always God's heart. He wants us to take another step closer. And we have the enormous privilege of being sent out into the harvest to be little Jesuses, dependent on his explosive power in the spirit, but also that gentle, like blowing us like that feather in the wind that Don spoke of a a few weeks back, where we're so light and attentive to the move of his spirit that we can say, what are you doing right now, God? I only want to do what you're doing, to bring people a fresh encounter with you so they take one step closer to you. Dance like David Dan. 